Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. For the first, for the, for the past five years or so, um, I've, uh, I've talked, the elders and I have talked about how this building is going to need a roof um, in some kind of time frame soon. Um, there have been leaks here and there. If there's, you know, there's a couple spots if you see um, in, the, in, the, in the auditorium where you can see that, you know, the water's come through. Uh, so some, through, through this five-year period, you know, some shingles have been replaced. Um, we've repaired some things here and there, but, you know, long, long story short, there's going to have to be a roof put on here. The cost of re- replacing a roof on a place like this is like, you know, close to $100,000. And when I think about that number, that feels impossible. Uh, a few years ago, um, we had a storm come through and it damaged some of the, some of the you know, some part of the roof, I guess. Um, we, so we called our insurance, you know, and we're thinking, oh, <laughs> maybe they'll replace the roof. Um, and they ended up giving us $1,000 uh, for repairs, which was, which, you know, okay, that's cool. Um, we accepted that, of course, and uh, Rex, I think, got up on the roof and did some repairs for us. And that was great, but in the back of my mind, I always had this, this thought, um, you know, it's always, you know, it's always there that we're going to have to replace that roof and, had, you know, bite the bullet and, 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 you know, put a new roof on this place. And I just don't know. I don't know how, you know, how, how, how would we do that? How would we do that? $100,000 is like, you know, 40 to 50% of our budget for the whole year. In my life, um, I, I want to admit to you, in my life, when things are going my way or the way that, the way that I expected them to go or better, um, I typically think the reason why things are going my way is because I'm so wonderful, um, because I'm so smart, because I'm so spiritual. Um, things are going so well because of me. I'm a good person, um, uh, kind of like karma. Uh, I put out good into the world, and so good's coming back to me, and that's why everything's going so well, um, because... Mm. I've shared with many of you guys before that in high school and in college, um, I was very self-righteous. I'm only self-righteous now, but then I was very self-righteous. Um, lots, of, lots of things lots of things went my way in life. Lots of things went my way in life. Um, and I attributed that you know, to the fact that I was so good or that I was doing what God wanted and he's blessing me because I was just so wonderful. Um, and he, would, he, he just worked things out for me over and over and over again. Lots of things went my way. Lots of things went my way. I've shared with many of you guys before also that um, before I got married, I saw so many struggling in their marriages and I would often ask myself the question, why are these guys struggling so hard? If they just did what God said and then everything would work out. And I would think that to myself, and certainly I wouldn't say that out loud, but I would, I would also think when I get married, I'll just show these guys how it's done. I thought that my knowledge of scripture had removed my selfishness, and it hadn't. Um, I was very, very wrong about that, and I had much to learn. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful my wife has stuck with me through all of this. I mean, she's been very, very gracious. Um, it's been a, been a challenging journey, uh, dealing, learning to deal with me. Uh, 
think that it's been helpful to admit, I don't know what I'm doing. My eyes are on you though. I don't know what I'm doing, but I need you, Lord. Uh, I'm a weak sinner, but I'm loved by an extraordinary God. And it would seem like, you know, after, after experiencing that, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, now I've learned my lesson. Now I know that I don't know everything and that I should just trust God and I, my eyes should be on him. I've shared with some of you guys before also. When I arrived at church, at this church here for my job, uh, you know, 15, 16 years ago, uh, I had been looking around at other churches and seeing how they were doing things. And I was thinking, no, 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 you guys don't know what you're doing. I'll show up. I'm, I, just watch me and I'll show you guys to do it. I, I've got all the ideas. I'm the solution to all the problems. I was wrong. Again. And I feel like God's like sitting back, like, I feel like this is a repeat. Like, is this a, this is a real? You, we just did this, didn't we? If God, um, in hindsight, if God would have let me win, or, or, or allowed things to go the way that I expected um, in my marriage or my work, I would have been like insufferable, right? <laughs> like it would have been impossible to be in the room with me. Uh, because I was just full of myself. My heart is drawn to believing that I don't need help. Um, I can do it myself. And it's my, my heart is also drawn to believing that the good things that happen to me in my life are because I'm good. Uh, and often, you know, when I'm winning, when I'm winning at life and when I'm winning at work, when I'm winning, you know, things, it, it adds to this, this pride, this thinking that it turns out I'm not the only one who thinks like this or feels like this. In the Bible, God gives this warning to his people about success. He says, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, when you're winning, then your heart will become proud. You will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. Um, this, is saying, this is saying that when you're succeeding, be careful. When you're winning, be careful. When, when you're succeeding, you're vulnerable. Um, when you're winning, watch out. Um, you, you, you might forget the Lord. I say something like this to myself. I say, look what I've done. Um, we're winning because of me. In my success, I become self-focused and, and self-righteous and, and just unreachable, unreachable. And the Lord can't get to my heart. Um, and it's, it's in me to lean toward that. And it's my challenge, you know, for myself to learn that I need him. Often, it's only in painful things or challenges or losing that I'm able to, to learn the most, I'm able to remember the most, that I need the Lord, that I'm perfected the 
most that I'm, that I'm drawn towards him, that I look, I'm, I'm changed more into the, to, to the person of Christ. It's only in challenges and weakness and brokenness and mistakes and losing that I'm drawn to that. And when I'm winning, I'm, <laughs> when I'm winning, I often can't hear God over my own voice, congratulating myself for my own goodness. Um, C.S. Lewis says it like this. Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It, pain, is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Um, and if, if that's... If that's about somebody that you don't trust, then, you know, this is, you're like, oh, I don't, I don't like that. But if it's someone you trust, someone that you think would never cause you pain unless it's absolutely necessary. When I'm fearful, when I'm empty, when I'm sure that I don't have enough, that's when God is near. He's close. He's nearby. He's, he's speaking to me, talking to me, doing his work in me. Um, so often I will ask God to do something for me. But then when he starts to do it, I get angry at him because he's not doing it in the way that I thought, I thought he was going to do it. I say, I, I, I pray for God to give me this. And when he starts, he says, okay, I'd love to do that. And he starts bringing it along. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't like this. For hundreds of years, Israel begged God, begged God to release them from slavery. Just crying out to God, begging him constantly, constantly. And so he says, okay, okay, that sounds good. I'm going to release you from slavery. I'm going to take you to the promised land. All right, let's go. And as soon as that starts happening, they are mad. <laughs> they start complaining and they're angry. And they, it was a lot more difficult and a lot more challenging than they thought it would be. And so they're super angry with God. And, and I think, I, I assume what they, the Bible doesn't say this, but I assume what they had to be thinking is, here we are, we're asking God to take us to the promised land and save us from slavery, that they, the God would pick him up and he would say, okay, here you are. But he didn't do that. He said, okay, let's go this way and that way and super hard and super awful. And then you get to go to the promised land. And he was teaching them something. He was loving them trying to teach them and humble them and test them so that they'd be able to trust him and be able to live well once they got to the promised land. They thought God was being unfair. Uh, I've shared with some of you guys before that, you know, I, I truly, truly feel like God called me to Ann Arbor, to our church. I've feel that with everything in me. Um, I believe that with everything in me. But I shared with, you know, shared with you also that, that I've struggled with my work here. Um, it's not going like I expected it would go. Uh, you know, I haven't seen the growth that I expected. Um, I, in fact, our numbers have shrank. Um, and when that happens, when you're a leader, when that happens, you start to question yourself. You start to question God. You're like, what, what are you doing? Didn't you, didn't you call me here? Didn't you ask me to come here and do your 
work and do your thing. What, when are you going to, when are you going to do your thing? I'm doing my thing. When are you going to do your thing? You question God. In a book of the Bible called Judges, we learn about the history of the nation of Israel. God, his, quick short history lesson, God uses a man named Moses to rescue, peop, rescue the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. God has a man named Joshua take over after Moses dies um, to lead the people into the promised land. After Joshua dies, we have this time period that, the, that we call the, the period of the Judges. And the nation's ruled or led by, by a group of judges. One of the judges is a man named Gideon. So during Gideon's lifetime, the nation of Israel is oppressed by a group of people called the Midianites. Um, and it's, a, it's an incredibly difficult time for the people. They are frustrated and angry with God because he's not doing what they, they think he should do. God's allowing this to happen because the people uh, had settled into their new lovely homes in the promised land and began thinking that their success was because of them and they forgot the Lord. And they're disobeying him and worshiping idols and God whispered to them and that they needed to come back to him, but they didn't listen. And God spoke to their consciences and he said, God, I, I need you guys to do this. And they didn't listen. So he said, okay, I want to introduce you to the Midianites. And so God allows the Midianites into the lives of the Israelites. So after a time of correction, God calls Gideon to face the Midianites on his behalf and lead the people to worship God only. So Gideon puts together as many men as he can to go fight the Midianites. And he comes up with like 32,000 people, 32,000 people. And this seems like, you know, that's a a good number of people, except the, the, the group of people he's going to have to face is like, 100,000 plus. So you're outnumbered three times to one plus, maybe four times to one, four times to one. That's, that's really scary. And, and those of you guys who know anything about the kind of combat that they had at that time, you know, it's, it's close, it's face to face. So if you're outnumbered three times, four times to one, that's, that's really, really bad. And very, very scary. So, listen to this. Even in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the, the hill of Moreh. And the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. So, this Their whole camp knows. So their their enemies are in the valley and they're above them. So they can see people for as far as the eye can see. And God shows up and says, you know what? You got too many people. I can't deliver Midian into their hands or Israel is going to boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Even outnumbered four to one. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remain. And you know, I've been like, all right, I'm, it's like, yo, I'm out. See you guys later. There's way too many people. And you know, those 22,000, they were like, woo, we dodged a bullet that time. 
22,000 people are like, thank God, we're going home. And 10,000 who left. I'm guessing, I'm guessing it's not that they're not scared, but that their fear, they're not going to let their fear control them. And they stay. They stay. So now they're outnumbered 10 to 1 at least. Probably more. Those are terrible eyes for face-to-face, you know, fighting that, that kind of... But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. I, I hate that it's so hard for us to put ourselves in the place of these guys. Um, I've never been anywhere close to war or battles or anything like that. God separates this group of people um, into 2,000 groups. This 10,000 group, you know, this group of 10,000 people into two groups. 300 people and 9,700 people. So God's like, okay, him over here, him over here, him over here, him over here. And it gets done. And Gideon has to be like, dear God, please, please send the 300 home. Please send the 300 home. And God says, nope, I'm going to send the 9,700 people home. But yeah, uh, but we're going to face 100,000 plus people. Send the 9,700 people home. And Gideon does it. Gideon does it. This is an incredible act of faith for him to say, for him to look at this group of people and say, go home. It's an incredible act of faith. Because once they go home, that's it. It's over. That's, that bridge, he's, he's not going to be able to get them. He's got 100,000 plus people on the edge of their seats ready to come fight them. And if you send them home, you're not going to have time to get them back. Send those guys home. Send those guys home. Listen to this. The, the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels, their camels could not be, could not be counted that uh, cannot be more, can, their camels could not more be counted than the sand on the seashore. 300 people versus that group of people. 300 people versus a group of people who, who can't be numbered. Uh, again, for, for, for mind's sake, they, they put 100,000 plus in the big house. So pick 300 people to fist fight a whole group of people in the, in the, in the big house. Who are you going to pick? Make it good. It, 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 that's a lot of people. It's not going to be a war. It's going to be a slaughter, right? There's, no, there's absolutely no way Gideon can win versus that many people. And he ends up going anyway. And I wonder if in, if in his mind there's any point where he says, win or lose, this is for the Lord. If I die today, this is for the Lord. It, it seems like I'm going to die today. 300 verses. Maybe this is my punishment. 
Going into battle with 300 men versus 100,000 plus, that's a death sentence. God says, if you guys are scared, go home. And I'm sure Gideon was like, I should have went home in that first set of people. I'm just going to do this with, with three, this three, these 300. And, and, and when I do it, when I do it, no one's going to be able to question who did it. It will be clear. The Lord has won this battle. The Lord has won this battle. Those of you guys who know this story, um, you know Gideon goes on to win this battle. I'm sure even if you haven't read this story, you've guessed it. You guessed it. That's, that's how I'd love for you. I'd love for you this week to read Judges 7 to see how it plays out, see how it works. Um, it is very interesting. Um, and if you've read it before, it's, gonna, it's, a, it's interesting to see what you forget. Today, I want to meditate on this. I want to meditate on this. Sometimes it's great when you're reading a, uh, a set of verses like Judges 7 to just use your imagination for a second and think about this. Before that 300 people go into battle, what are they thinking? Before the 300 men that have been selected get to go into battle, what, what's going through their minds? Like, it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, they think that they're like, God's going to do this. Well, they're thinking there's no way we're going to win this. We're all going to die. At least somebody in that group of people has to be thinking, we're all going to die today. (laughs) Even if he doesn't say it out loud. I mean, it would be, it'd be superhuman for no one, nobody in that 300 people to think we're all going to die today. Are they thinking, what do we get ourselves into? I'm sure, some, I'm sure at least one of them thought, I should have left with the 22,000. But somebody might have been thinking this. God picked us for this task. And he's going to show up and he's going to do something that's going to blow our minds. Somebody had to be thinking that, right? Somebody had to be thinking that. God told everybody else to go home except for us. So we've been picked. We've been chosen for this. Let's do this. And then live or die. Maybe we'll die today. And you think about that. 300 people versus 100,000. Even if they win, even if they win, they had to be thinking, all of us aren't coming back from this. Right? Even if it was like 100,000 versus 100,000, everybody's not coming back from this. So they had to be thinking, is it going to be me? Maybe they're thinking, even if it is me, to, for the glory of the Lord, let's do this. God picked me for this. God picked me for this. 300 people, whether they were afraid or not, or whether they were thinking we're going to die today or not, or whether they had questions or not, here's what they decided. We're going to follow the Lord. We're going to do it. So all 300, they go in, they go with them, they follow the Lord. They do what, they do what Gideon says. Um, all 300. 300 people decide we're going to follow the Lord. Even in death, we follow the Lord. Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? Um, so let me say this. Let me say this. My church family who is with me today, in person or online, if you are part of our church family, I want to say something to you. 
I want to say something to you for you to consider. What if God has narrowed us down, thinned us out for a task he has that he wants to get the glory for? That he has said, the people who are afraid have to go home and I'm going to pick these people. What if you are the 300. What if you were the 300? He gets the glory. What if God has narrowed us down to this group of people for his glory? Some of you know this already. So recently, a man from a roofing company approached me, approached our church, and asked if he could do a free estimate on the church building. Could he get up on the roof and give us an estimate of what it would cost to fix it? Um, and I, I, you know, I said, listen, bro, <laughs> it's not in our church budget um, to fix a roof right now. And he said, that's cool. Uh, I said, knock yourself out. He comes off the roof and he says, you know, I think there's some damage to your building that may have happened during a storm. And I think I could get your insurance to replace it. And I said, yeah, we already went down that path, bro. We already talked to him about that. He said, yeah, let's try again. And so I said, knock yourself out. You want to take the lead on it? Knock yourself out. Long story short, um, our insurance has agreed to replace our roof. Yeah. (laughs) They sent us a check for 80,000 plus. Um, It will be replaced this week on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, a couple months ago, I was wondering how we were going to come up with $100,000 to replace a roof. Um, sometime in the next whatever years. Uh, I, and I didn't this month is going to be done without us spending an extra dollar. So, uh, and when I, our most recent elders meeting, I'm sitting there and I'm talking with Michael and Rex and I'm saying, I just, it blows my mind. I can't believe that this is happening. And, I, he did, and Rex said this, how big is your God? I said, shut up. What do you want to do? Church family. What do you want to do? Maybe God thinned us out to show us how big he is. What if we're the 300? I mean, maybe you, if you're part of our church family, you're thinking maybe like 30. <laughs> Even better. Even better. Those 300 soldiers followed Gideon into battle and won without a single casualty. Nobody died. Unreal. Unreal. I'm going to ask you to, uh, to kind of follow our, you know, our leadership into battle, not because you know, I know what I'm doing, because I don't. 
or I have the best ideas, or because, but it's because God's going to be glorified in us. And here's what I need you to do. Here's what I need you to do. First, first part, first thing. Here's what I need you to do. Practice the Sabbath. First step, step number one, practice the Sabbath. Many of you guys know that I've been asking us to take Sundays to rest. If Sunday doesn't work for you, use a different day. I don't care. Practice the Sabbath. Practice the Sabbath. Rest and refresh. Um, It's a time to remember um, that any success we're going to experience is because of the Lord. To remember that we are not God and we need him desperately. Um, So one of the things that occurred to me this week, during during my time here, one 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 of my constant fears is to start winning and forget the Lord. Churches do this all the time. Um, it, it, there's a super, if you've, not, if you've not listened to this, there's a super interesting um, podcast about uh, a, a church called Mars Hill. Just success explosion for that church. And the, so the whole podcast is just about how after they exploded, they forgot the Lord. And it's just, it, it tracks this from success to crashing and burning. And it's, it's terrible. And for any pastor, any church leader to think that it cannot happen to them is foolishness. It's stupidity. I've always feared when you win, when you win, how do you make sure that you don't forget the Lord? Here's how. We practice the Sabbath. Every week, there is at least one day where we look back and we're like, I'm not God. I'm not in charge. I'm not running anything. I'm not the boss of anything. Everything's not depending on me. I don't know everything. One day, at least, where, you have, where we have a chance to say, if we make this a practice amongst our church family, I think that will help us remember high or low or whatever the Lord is doing. It's the time to remember. It's the time to remember. If we figure out, if we figure out that part, we can move on, move on to the next part. Um, if you, let me say again, if you need help with the Sabbath, um, you need to go to arborbridgechurch.com forward slash Sabbath. And there's some, there's a tool that you can use, but if you want help, then please, please talk with me. Love to talk with you. I mean, that's part of my job. Second part. Second thing I want you to start thinking about is this. During the month of October, um, the elders and I are going to lead a series of, of small gatherings, um, a series of conversations that we want, with, we want to talk with you about what you think God wants to do with our church family. Um, and, and, you know, we're going to share some specific questions before each of those gatherings so you'll have a chance to think about them. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're thinking towards, you know, 2023 and what we're going to do next year. But um, we want you in the conversation. We want you in the conversation about what God's doing um, and uh, what he wants to do. Uh, and, and, here's, and here's what I've, you know, again, I say I've learned it, but I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure that I have, is we need your buy-in for whatever we do. We need you bought in. Um, because my idea or Rex or Michael's idea, pff, might be the, it might be the best or greatest idea in the world, but if you guys don't buy in, it's garbage. It's garbage. We need your buy-in. So during the month of October, we're going we're gonna, to, well, you know, obviously we'll, we'll share more information with you as it gets closer. 
we want you to plan to be a part of some conversations. Um, there'll be, you know, again, there'll be smaller gatherings so that we can, you know, get, get you to, to share. Those of you guys who might not share in a larger setting, it's going to be, it'll be perfect for you. Um, but, but then the second part of that, you know, is this, those gatherings in October is this. Um, there are some of you guys who are good at dreaming about the future, thinking about planning for the future. Um, that comes naturally to you. Um, in the business world, they call it strategic planning. If that's you, or if you think that might be you, you're like, oh, that might be me. Um, would you reach out to me? Would you reach out to me? Uh, email me, text me, come up here, you know, to, you know, after the worship service to talk with me, please. Um, and if that's not you, cool. October, later. Um, uh, if you're watching online and that is you, and would you reach out to me? If you don't know my, have my contact information, go to the bottom of any page of our website and there's a place where you can say, hey, Daryl, I think that, I'm a good dreamer. I'm good at strategic, strategic thinking. That email will come to me. That email will come to me. I, uh, I'm told by people who, have, who go into battle, who've actually been on battlefields and scary things like that. I'm told that when you go into battle with a group of people, um, a certain kind of bond is built, a confidence between you and those people, a trust. Um, you're trusting people with your life and they're trusting, they're, they're, uh, they're trusting you with theirs. So each week when we take communion together, it's a kind of renewing our commitment to Christ, right? Uh, we, we, I said that. We take time to think about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and we recommit our allegiance to him. We're inspired by his life here on earth. And we know that nothing less, nothing, nothing less than our lives for him or his glory will, will, will be acceptable in a response to him. So communion is like a, a, a recommitment to Christ in that way. Uh, all, everything we have is included in this response, or it should be. When we respond to Christ, we're also responding to his body. You know, when we talk about each other, when we talk about, you, you talk about me, you don't separate me from my body. You, you, they're together. Taking communion is not only a personal thing between you and Jesus, it's a personal commitment also to being a part of his body, um, playing your role in his body. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the building of a certain kind of bond, a certain kind of confidence that you get from going into battle together. Once when an early church leader was talking with the church, he started about taking the Lord's Supper. He said this, he said, so then my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Certainly he wasn't talking about any time you eat. He was talking about the Lord's Supper, the communion. That, and he's not just talking about taking it together. He's saying, be one together. The, the, through the, the body and the blood of Christ given for us and us sharing in it, we receive God's spirit. And, and it, it makes those of us who share in the meal together part of the same family. Um, we're invited to this table, this meal, um, by God, and it's, it's a way of, uh, of him hosting us, being hospitable to us, and it breaks down the barriers that we have between us. So most certainly, we don't agree on everything, or we don't think the same, but communion breaks all that stuff down. We belong to God. 
But also, as the body of Christ, we belong to one another. We belong to one another. I wonder um, today, as we're thinking about being that 300, if you would recommit to this, this body, this body of Christ, not for me, but for the Lord. And, and let me say this about the 300. Let me say this. Even if amongst that group of people, there are people who were unsure, there are people who didn't like Gideon, there are people who, who, who were afraid. When it came, and again, read Judges 7. When it came time for the battle, they were all together and they all played their role. It, 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 every, everything depended on everyone playing their role. It could not, could not have been done by just Gideon by himself. Everyone had to play their role. In your approach to this body, I'm, call, I'm asking you to approach it like that. What's my role? What's my part? It's not the same as my role. And mine's not the same as yours. Calling you to this 300. What does that mean? What does that look like? This is what we'll talk about in October, but I want you to decide to be dedicated to that today in your time of communion between you and Christ. Let's pray towards that. Dear Father, most certainly, most certainly, if we have to do anything on our own strength, it is not going to work. If we, have any, if we have to do, we need to do anything depending on ourselves, it's not going to work. The cross of Jesus Christ is, is a proclamation. Without saying a word, just the cross of Jesus Christ is a proclamation that we need you desperately. We needed you then. We needed you now. We need you every hour. We need you every moment. We need you to be present. Um, and it, it certainly applies to this, to this church body. We want very much for this church to become all the things that, that, that we dream it could be. But I just, I pray that, we pray that whatever dreams that we have, that they would align with your dreams for this group of people. And help us to understand or help us to get the idea that none of those things, none of those things can happen apart from our surrender to you. And so during this time of communion, I pray that, I pray that, that we would surrender to you completely and as fully as we know how. And, and, and the, the funny thing or the, the incredible thing is that we don't even know how to surrender right without you. I invite you, we invite you to help us with that, help us do that, help us to surrender to you. And like Gideon led those 300 people into battle, I pray that you would lead us, you would lead us into the battles that you have for this, this church family. We trust you even when we don't. We trust you and we want to move even when we're afraid. Help us do that, help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Thank you.